I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi fans, welcome back to La Jam and Latte. This weekend, I've been watching a lot of football because yes, I really do genuinely like AFL, but I have found it quite distressing because I've had this sudden awakening. I just, I'm not sure when I went from being the same age as AFL players and like frothing over Dane Swan in the clubs like Prince at 4am to being old enough to actually be an AFL player's mum. Like, Don't get me wrong, definitely I would have been a teen mum, but guess what? If you're 30, you too are old enough. I know I could definitely be a mum. By the way, my cheering has starkly changed this season versus last. No longer does my game vocab include ball and what a mark. Come on, Hannabry. These are actually the phrases that came out of my mouth this weekend. Oh, Jack, what is that mustache? Such a shame. He's such a good-looking boy. Oh, good boy, Sebastian. You've improved so much since last year. Great kick, Jack. You can definitely see the work you've put into your accuracy. Good boy. Times about 100. That is when we're winning. When we're losing, I could still definitely be a mum, but maybe one with suboptimal dental hygiene, like seven kids to eight dads, and spends all their doll money on Winnie Blues and cask wine. Today on the podcast, we're talking guilty pleasures, which actually we shouldn't feel guilty about at all, for the most part. Then I share the new evidence that has come to light in support of my footloose theory from last week, and totally not safe for work, I review the highest grossing movie in Polish cinematic history, 365 Days. Like any classic C-grade average year 10 student, I'm going to start off this segment with a dictionary definition. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, which I take to be a credible resource because of its double-barreled name, a guilty pleasure is something pleasurable that induces a usually minor feeling of guilt. The more pedestrian Dictionary.com and the ultimate essay reference Wikipedia both add that the reason you feel guilty or embarrassed is because the pleasure, which is typically a form of media, is not generally held in high regard. So... Basically, the dictionary is saying if you have a guilty pleasure, you really care about what other people think and rely on others for affirmation of your choices. I'm obviously no Freud, but that feels super unhealthy. Why do we have to feel guilty about things we like just because other people might not think the same way? Can't we just call them pleasures or like something less sexual like 
things we enjoy or something less sexual, like just interests, our hobbies. And fans, apparently this is quite the academic stream of thought because I found some people who have doctor in their title that certainly agree with this notion. Dr. Navi, who is a professor of communications at the University of California, says that feeling guilty about things we like can diminish the benefit they offer us. That's right. There are benefits to our lowbrow interest in moderation. Like some people, and I highly doubt it's anyone that listens to this podcast, believe that you should always be productive with your downtime. And that sounds so exhausting. Like I need to take a nap in the middle of this recording because 30 minutes of concentration is too much for me. And Dr. Kristen Neff from the University of Texas says that being on all the time is also not very good for your happiness. And I don't know, like I feel like you actually don't need a doctorate to know that, nor do you need a doctorate to know that having downtime also improves our ability to deal with depression and anxiety. But what I didn't know is that, as Dr. Navi says, enjoying something that doesn't require intense intellectual focus also improves our ability to productively deal with stress and more positively engage with other people. So what I'm getting from this is if you don't watch Maths and the Bachelor or don't eat chocolate, you're unhappy, stressed and incapable of social interaction. Like a real killjoy that would be no fun. But I'm betting that in contrast, our large almond latte community are intelligent communicators with high-level skills in conflict resolution and stress management due to our downtime viewing schedules. But fans, I think we're also so used to the cliche of guilty pleasures being around trash TV or food that we automatically class these enjoyments as guilty pleasures. But if we go through each of your pleasures practically, it's really clear that we shouldn't feel guilty at all. In fact, we should be celebrating that we're engaging in what I would like to term as sociocultural enhancements. I'm quite sure that the doctors would also agree with this terminology. So a lot of you are finding pleasure in your media viewing. Fan Brittany is loving watching Friends every night in her moccasins. And if you're not in Australia, Friends has like five episodes in a row on free-to-air TV every single night. But Brittany... Friends is one of the greatest TV shows of all time. It's like feeling guilty about reading the greatest writers like Charles Dickens or Emily Bronte. You just wouldn't. Friends has provided some of the greatest cultural references of our generation. Pivot! Leather pants, spray tans, fajitas. Well, I mean, specifically, Ross has given us some of the greatest cultural references of all time. But let's not forget, without friends, we would have never had the best moment of 2020. Brad and Jen reuniting backstage at the SAG Awards, obviously. So, Brittany, consider yourself culturally enriched. Oh, and the moccasins? I don't know. I'd call regulating the temperature of your trotters in the middle of winter and negating the risk of frostbite a rather wise move. Fans Mia and Hannah love their trash TV, specifically that of the Bachelor variety. And let's be honest, it's not just those two. It's literally every single one of us. But the Bachelor at its very essence, in all its iterations, 
is a love story with a side of sweet drama. But what kind of cold-hearted monster would look down on somebody for loving love? I know, somebody who is unhappy and stressed and incapable of social interactions because they don't have any downtime. Thanks, Dr. Narby. Similarly, fan Jess loves old people rom-coms. Anything with Judy Dench. Um, Jess, Judy Dench is a dame. That's like the equivalent of a knight, which is basically just under queen. You don't become a dame with home and away acting chops. You have to be legit. So watching a rom-com with her in it is basically getting an acting lesson from one of the greatest performers of all time. Plus, those movies are filled with positivity. They prove that you can still be mobile and find love when you're like 50. They provide hope, not guilt. Fan John loves a bit of postcards and getaway. I don't know. I just have this feeling that he's probably not watching TV at 5pm on a Sunday night for the boomer getaways to the Yarra Valley. I feel like it maybe has something more to do with the presenters, which are exclusively wags and influencers, in which case maybe you might have some guilt you need to ask Jesus for forgiveness for, but no judgment here. Of course, then there are the culinary guilty pleasures. Apparently, for 10% of women, eating in bed is a guilty pleasure. And excuse me, but where is the statistic for males around that particular pleasure? Because as a woman that eats in bed, I can confirm that when I'm eating in bed, my boyfriend is also eating in bed. It's basically like we're the grandparents from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, except it's 2am and it's after a big night out. Because when I eat in bed, it's because I want to sleep as equally as I want to eat, hence the eating in bed. And I can confirm I also do not feel guilty about it at all. I'm probably too drunk for that. I often do wake up really mad at myself, though, because I do it repeatedly. I know I'm going to fall asleep and wake up with Big Mac sauce all over my spenny linen sheets every single time. It is so frustrating. Oh, not God, Nicole, grow up. Anyway, Fan and Nett's guilty pleasure is classic chocolate. Ella's is cookie dough and Emma's is peanut butter from the jar. But fans, food is fuel. We literally need it to live. So we actually should not feel guilty about keeping ourselves alive. Okay, Admittedly, maybe those are sometimes foods, but we shouldn't feel guilty about extending our culinary repertoire and enjoying food. We eat three meals a day, min, maybe five or six, eight or nine, depending what diet you're on, who you are and how hungry you are. But the point is, if we didn't enjoy eating food, then that would be a solid portion of our lives that is more bland than overboiled frozen vegetables. So you can really see how people who avoid these so-called guilty pleasures would be the absolute worst. Some of you fans really colour outside the lines and had some mm, interesting pleasures. Fan Ella loves getting breathalyzed and has self-diagnosed that joy as daddy issues. I can't see another reason why you would like to do that, so I'll agree. Fan Cara loves having her feet shaved. And oh my God, I stand this. If you don't know what it is, it's when you go and get a pedicure and they literally shave the dead skin off your feet. Oh, it's so good. I have a shellac machine, which is another essential component of a frugal life, but I will go and get a pedicure just to get my feet 
feet shaved. There is literally nothing like the dopamine rush of watching that dead skin (laughs) fall to the ground, except maybe peeling off a huge bit of sunscreen. Like the best part about the movie The Craft isn't the light as a feather stiff as a board scene, which if you didn't try at a sleepover with your friends when you were 10, you immediately need to get some friends around to your house right now and try it because you have missed out on an essential childhood experience. But the best scene is the one where Nev Campbell gets her scars removed and they just peel off. It is hugely satisfying. But I think there's a reason that most guilty pleasures are referred to as food or media. And that's because beyond that, mm, Maybe you should feel guilty because you're doing something wrong. And fans, some of you definitely fall into this category. Fans, Polly and Tom, both like to mess with people and I would suggest are borderline sociopaths. Fan Polly likes to find out which of her friends are clean freaks and then just like not clean and see how dirty she can get away with leaving her house and herself. I don't know. To me, that just really sounds like an elaborate excuse not to clean. Fan Tom does not like his boss. So he likes to move things around in her office, like take her last pen or put her notebook in another room, shut down her computer in the middle of the day. Basically, he wants to make her think that she's going crazy. Sounds awful, but I did this once on a much smaller, much less malicious scale. I thought it would be funny to hide my friend's cordless mouse. So I hid it and it ended in an all-staff email demanding that the mouse be returned immediately because it was not funny. And obviously, I never played that game again and never told anyone that I was responsible. But I have to admit, after I read Tom's confession, I started moving my boyfriend's phone to different places around the house. And yeah, it was, (laughs) I really did enjoy watching him get confused when his phone wasn't where he left it. Then fans, there are those of you who should feel guilty because, well, you are guilty of a felony. There are several fans who named this pleasure, but for legal reasons, being that what you're doing is illegal, I'm just going to refer to you collectively as A. You all get a real kick out of shoplifting. We're not talking Winona styles from high-end boutiques. We're not even talking year seven styles with a few bonds, crop tops and a necklace from Sports Girl. We're talking good old-fashioned suburban housewife theft from the self-serve checkout. I also will not confirm or deny if these are the same fans who contributed this information to the Frugal Life episode. But 1A tells me they love playing a game every shopping trip to see how much they can forget to scan and what the biggest single item they can get away with is. To date, it's a packet of Finnish dishwashing tablets. Um... I don't think there is anything more expensive in a supermarket. Those are like $20 and they're huge. How do you even get away with that? The most that they ever got stacked up was $45 in one shop, which I don't know, like to be honest, that's more than the hourly rate of a 16-year-old, which if the Coles or Woolies varieties would have had hired, it would have likely prevented this situation and I don't know, also maybe contribute to reducing our 7.1 unemployment rate, but I digress. Why do they do it? Well, the A's just love the thrill of walking out those doors past the security guards, past the staff with half of their grocery shop gifted. And have any of them been caught? Well, no, not as yet. So I guess their illegal pleasures live on. So fans, unless you're hurting someone 
or doing something illegal, in which case you should absolutely feel guilty. Let's remove guilty pleasures from our collective vocab. It's also a really long word to say. Let's just say likes. And fans, let's not forget that we are empowered people and we are the trendsetters of this society. So if anything, other people should feel guilty about liking things that we don't. Fans, last week I told you about my very own conspiracy theory that ScoMo wants to turn Australia into the town from Footloose with no music, no TV, no media, no dance, no arts, just religion and coal. And while it is a bit of a brand extension for us to venture into politics because we do like to keep the noggin calves turning to a minimum during these 30 minutes, but new evidence has fallen into my lap that supports this theory, so I have to share it. In order for ScoMo to realise his town goal of eradicating the arts, he has to stop people from studying the arts. Obviously, that was a real gap in the plan, Scotty. The way he's going to do this is by increasing the cost of humanities degrees, aka arts, by 113%. How do I know this, you ask? Well, I read it in an article written by a journalist who undoubtedly has an arts degree. He found out from the education minister who also has an arts degree. The rising cost is about redistributing course demands towards preferential degrees that will essentially turn out job-ready graduates like IT, health, nursing, education, and engineering. So those course costs will decline while courses like law, commerce, and arts will increase. In separate news, theology courses are also now fully funded by the government. No, well, maybe. I'm not sure, actually. Probably not. It all comes down to benefiting the economy. And ironically, this is basic supply and demand, which I know the meaning of because I studied economics, which I guess is totally useless now. Because if you really want to stimulate economic growth, obviously you don't need an economics degree to understand economic theory and its application to markets. That's so crazy. But my question is, will course demands actually change? Because this may come as quite a shock, but research shows that student preference is not linked to cost. It is, however, strongly linked to student interest. When I was 18, I wanted to do marine biology because Kurt and Heartbreak High wanted to do that, and it sounded so cool. I literally had no idea what courses I was applying for, let alone how much they cost. When Fan Polly was 18, she thought uni was free. I can tell you that she was 18 in the 2000s, not Goff's 1970s, when it actually was free. And 70% of you in the Facebook group Large Almond Latte poll, also agree with this notion. It wouldn't change your preferences at all. Even the indecisive Brit, who'd racked up 40k with two false starts before starting her psych degree, still didn't care. Because while you might not know much about what's coming when you're 18, one thing you do know is that you don't have to pay for your degree until you're working. Hex is just the OG afterpay, so you just know that you don't actually have to care about the cost. However, while the majority of us were more clueless than sure about costs that it wouldn't have changed our decision, that might be a little bit of privilege shining through because we knew we didn't have to care. Fan Tamara was more aware. She said that growing up in a lower socioeconomic area, it would have made her rethink university completely if the costs were higher. It would have led her to believe that university simply wasn't for her and she would have foregone her tertiary education completely. And that's what's not okay about this because education in a developed country should never be unobtainable. You know what happens when education is unobtainable in a developed country? Trump's America happens. 
But in all seriousness, well, actually, that was serious. That is what happens. In a time when people believe that vaccines cause autism and injecting disinfectant will kill coronavirus, stupidity is thriving like a sanitizer salesman. Combine that with a struggling journalism industry, it's literally more important than ever that we're able to understand process and critically analyze information. You know, like the basic skills you get from a humanities degree. It was a Saturday night in with Netflix, just for something new, and there was a movie in the trending 10 that I had not yet seen. That's a rarity. It was number one, in fact, and I thought to myself, well, if it's number one, it must be an absolute cracker. I definitely trust the nation's taste. I'll give it a go. But um, as it turns out, the nation are just a bunch of dirty pervs because Christ on a ship or a yacht, as I soon discovered, 365 days is the most batshit crazy softcore porn I have ever seen. It makes Fifty Shades of Grey look like a Disney movie. So fans, buckle up. The basic premise is that an Italian gangster drugs and kidnaps a Polish girl while she's on holiday. He holds her hostage and threatens to kill her parents if she tries to escape. He gives her 365 days to fall in love with him. So it's like basically Beauty and the Beast. But I can see how by this description, you may not have experienced any feelings of eroticism thus far. And that's because I've left out one very important factor. The gangster is incredibly hot and rich, and everybody knows that hot and rich characters are the difference between a nightmare and a fantasy. If you're hot and rich, behavior that would be seen as problematic by regular people becomes totally overlooked and even fetishized. In Taken, the gangsters that kidnapped Liam Neeson's daughter were not hot and rich. They were middle-aged and sweaty. So obviously, that's a nightmare. But if they were all hot, it would have been a vastly different movie. In Fifty Shades of Grey, the super controlling businessman that stalks Anastasia and makes her sign a relationship contract is a hot billionaire. So obviously, it's a fantasy. In Twilight, Edward isn't even a human and he's technically like 100 years old. But he's hot and rich, so fantasy. But just like their fashion, this Polish poster movie for Stockholm Syndrome is so extra. I might have glazed over it the first time, but I'll reiterate. Massimo, the hot gangster, drugs and kidnaps Laura and forces her into a relationship. That's not problematic. That's straight up illegal. Very, very illegal. No Western fantasy goes that far. In fact, in Twilight, Edward goes the complete opposite at the end of the first movie and he leaves Bella because he knows he's no good for her. The Beast even lets Belle go. And let's be honest, he has way more riding on the girl falling in love with him than Massimo because he'll be a beast forever if she doesn't fall in love with him. Massimo will still be hot and rich without Lara. But hey, Massimo also kills the guy in front of her, breaks up with her boyfriend on her behalf and then victim blames her when she nearly gets attacked by a random at the bar. So, I don't know, I guess he's not too concerned with his moral compass. And why should he be? Because he's hot and rich. But there is one thing that not even Adonis himself could get away with, and that is pet names. Every time Massimo opened his mouth to say, baby girl, which was a lot, the shine just immediately wore off. And as I read in a pedestrian article, because I know I use all the best news sources for my research, he may as well have been saying dirty toenail because that's how repulsive it sounds. Pet names like that surely are not a fetish, are they? Please. Surely nobody gets turned on by being called baby girl. Side note, 
it also made me really uncomfortable when I called my baby girl, baby girl. I literally like had to walk away from her. I just, I couldn't. Okay, let's get to what you're here for, the smut. Massimo ties Laura up in his dungeon, but it's a sex thing, so it's okay. She's on a bed and her hands are tied to each poster and then there's like a rod between her legs that pushes her legs further apart every time she moved. And this is really as kink as it gets. There's no chains, whips, collars, ball gags. This is really where Fifty Shades does have it over a barrel. Massimo wants to make Laura jealous and he says to her, I'm going to show you what you're missing out on. And then a sex worker walks in and proceeds to give him a BJ. It totally works. Laura is squirming around on that bed like a fish on land. She is literally the only girl in the entire world that is jealous that another girl gets to give a BJ and she doesn't. Wild. Then we come to the most iconic scene in Polish cinematic history, a seven-minute-long sex scene on a yacht. Laura finally gets to give Massimo that BJ. Honestly, it's very vanilla sex with a small serve of choking and a garnish of Massimo spitting onto his hand to lube up, but he really is a dreamboat and it is solid viewing, as long as you're not watching it with your parents or your children. I honestly think that the only reason this is on Netflix and not Pornhub is because of the main female character, Laura. Like her contemporaries, Bella and Anastasia, she's the girl next door with small boobs, which makes this movie weirdly relatable because you can see yourself in her place. You can fetishize it because it's not entirely unplausible, which even as I say it sounds very NQR. However, if she was a physically unrelatable Pamela Anderson type, I am confident that this movie, nay, masterpiece, would be buried very deep in your SO search history. So, obviously, Laura falls in love with Massimo, obviously, but I'm not going to give anything else away because this movie is an absolute must watch, a cultural and educational enlightenment, if you will. All I will say is by the end, I was undeniably 110% invested, despite wanting to switch off for the first 90% of the movie. After it finished, I immediately Googled it and what a treat. It's a trilogy. Yes. I literally purchased a calendar of Massimo. It's hanging in my bathroom and I am crossing off the days until the second movie comes out. Is that true or not? You'll never know. Mm, This is such a difficult film to rate because it's so problematic, but so brave, but so cooked. Um, Like 6.5 out of 10. And now it's time for your weekly life changer. Breakfast is called so because you're breaking the fast from when you slept. Thanks for listening to Large Almond Latte. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A nice review would also tickle our hearts. Make sure you join the low involvement discussion by following us on Insta at Large Almond Latte Media and joining the Facebook group at Large Almond Latte. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.